This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. A million Americans died during the COVID-19 pandemic, the tragic consequence of the Trump administration's slow and inept response to the crisis. The rest of us just did the best we could to get by. But some 573 people became newly minted billionaires. That's right, in just two years' time, a new billionaire was created every 30 hours, according to a new report from Oxfam, one of the leading anti-poverty organizations in the world. Today, the separation between the rich and the poor is greater than it's ever been before. Corporations are reporting record high profits, and if you don't think that our current inflation crisis isn't caused by corporate greed, you aren't paying attention. And yet, in Trump land, it's the same old dog and pony show. Did you commit a coup, sir? No, no, you know what, there was no coup. It was an event, perhaps a take back event, a coup perhaps. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't like coup, I just don't like coup. I don't like the P at the end of coup. I think you should take that P and push it. We're pushing P. Of course, if you take off P from coup, you have cow, which goes moo, which, you know, perhaps that's where they get coup. But do coup, who do? You do. Do what? Remind me of the babe. But yes, in many ways, uh, it was an intentional planned coup, yes. This week has been big for Trump's inner circle. Trump himself has been out on the campaign trail in Georgia, showing off his pet ferret, David Perdue, even though they're used to lose the GOP gubernatorial primary to his archenemy, Brian Kemp, and by proxy, Kemp's latest endorser, Mike Pence. Apparently, Pence is trying to widen the gap between he and the former president, not just because Trump released a murderous mob on the White House that threatened to kill him, but because Pence is showing strong signs that he's going to make a run at the 2024 Republican nomination for president. In the meantime, on Monday, Purdue did what he does best, and he made fucking racist comments about his Democratic counterpart, Stacey Abrams, declaring that she's demeaning to her own race. She doesn't care about the people of Georgia. That's clear. You know, when we saw in 18 what she did and what she said, oh, we're going to have a blue wave, we're going to do it with documented and undocumented workers. You know, I don't think a lot of people in Georgia understood that when she told black farmers, you don't need to be on the farm. And she told black workers in hospitality and all this, you don't need to be, she is demeaning her own race when it comes to that. Now let's think back to when Trump and his crazy co-conspirators were in Washington carrying out their plot to overthrow the government. I mean, who can forget the January 6th insurrection, right? The former Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Trump's son-in-law senior advisor Jared Kushner were flying back and forth to the Persian Gulf on the taxpayer's dime, cozying up to foreign dignitaries with fucking deep pockets under the pretense of raising money for a non-existent government fund. This week, a New York Times piece revealed how Mnuchin and Kushner quickly pivoted from their jobs in the White House to get rich quick scheme in the Middle East that netted them billions. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin was visiting Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates and Qatar and Kuwait to scare up new investments for himself, not for the United States, which is a thing that's called self-dealing. And it's a thing that we're not supposed to do. Mnuchin and Kushner weren't stupid. 
They knew Trump had lost the election and wasted no time exploiting their questionable relationships with Persian Gulf royals to enrich themselves. According to the Times, within six months of leaving the White House, Mnuchin raised $1.5 billion for his Liberty Strategic Capital Fund, and Kushner had secured $2 billion for his own private fund, Affinity Partners, despite a background check that found Affinity unsatisfactory in every way and a public relations risk. Jared had been good to Crown Prince Ben Salman, and it was payback time. A $2 billion investment that President Trump, former President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, secured last summer from a fund led by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia has raised questions about the ethics of post-White House business dealings. Kushner's private equity firm secured the investment after Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman overruled a host of objections from the sovereign wealth fund's advisors. The New York Times reported some of the group's concerns. The private equity firm was found to be, quote, unsatisfactory in all aspects. The kingdom would be taking on the bulk of the investment and the risk. There was a seemingly excessive asset management fee and public relations risks due to Kushner's involvement. It shouldn't surprise absolutely fucking no one that these two self-dealing scumbags would turn their official relationships with foreign nationals into a money grab the minute they left office. Before coming to Washington, the never-popular Mnuchin was one of the Wall Street bankers who exploited the real estate bust and made millions and millions on foreclosures. No one would ever accuse Mnuchin of being ethical. What does it mean to be in favor of 21st century Glass-Steagall if it does not mean breaking apart these two functions in banking? You know what? I'd be more than happy to come see no, you I, and follow I, up and talk about Just tell me what this. it means. Had had we we never came just out. Just tell me what it means to separate. Tell me what 21st century Glass Steagall means if it doesn't mean breaking apart those two functions. It's an easy question uh, it's or actually, an impossible question. It's actually a complicated question. I'll bet. And while Mnuchin and Kushner's Middle Eastern double-dipping certainty appears corrupt as hell. According to the reporters who broke this story, there may be no way to hold them accountable. I mean, bear with me, folks, for a moment. This is somewhat convoluted. But over the weekend, the former president reshared a comment on Truth Social that appeared to predict or suggest a civil war in America in response, of course, to inflation. Trump reposted a suggestion from a Truth Social user called MAGA King Thanos who commented on a screenshot of a tweet from El Salvador's president, Nayib Bukele, who was responding to a Bloomberg tweet about inflation. So to recap, Trump was responding to a tweet about a tweet. I thought I saw a pussy cat. In said tweet, Bukele wrote, the most powerful country in the world is falling so fast that it makes you rethink what are the real reasons. Something so big and powerful can't be destroyed so quickly unless the enemy comes from within. Bingo. Trump's repost was quickly picked up on by conservative political activist and Trump Twitter troll George Conway, the husband of former Trump aide and my old friend Kellyanne Conway. George tweeted, and I'm going to quote, Nothing to see here, just the former president of the United States sharing a social media post advocating or predicting civil war in the United States. No biggie. 
The only person the Civil War would benefit, yeah, is Trump. I think we are, as a nation, to some extent, sleepwalking through this because we've gotten so used to the perpetually abnormal concept of having these having people basically challenge uh, the basis for our democracy, which is fair elections and majority rule. It, it's just a remarkable thing that we even are talking about people who still are seeking to challenge the 2020 election and who, 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 that, that these people could possibly be elected, but here we are. Remarkably, Kellyanne and George managed to stick it out as a couple, despite often being on either side of Trump. In fact, George once called the Trump presidency a shit show in a dumpster fire. Kellyanne writes in her book, Here's the Deal, I had two men in my life. One was my husband, one was my boss, who happened to be president of the United States. One of those men was defending me, and it wasn't George Conway. It was Donald Trump. You know what I have to say to that? Ouch! In her new memoir, former Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway writes that her husband, George Conway's attacks against the administration were, quote, sneaky, almost sinister, and it's honestly why she fell in love with him all over again. But Kellyanne, the creator of alternative facts, doesn't have a bad word to say about our former boss. She suggests in a nice way that Trump should have worn his mask more and probably could have handled the COVID crisis better. Yeah, you think? But overall, she straddles the line between kissing Trump's ass and blaming others for his failings. She acknowledges that Trump didn't win the 2020 election, I mean, good for her, but blames it on incompetent or ladder-climbing aides who failed to tell him straight. Well, Donald, you lost. Instead, she told him, this time you came up short. If Conway was the only person to tell Trump he had come up short, it doesn't seem to have deterred the president much. Perhaps because, by her own admission, she continued to enable his insistences that he hadn't. We're going to take a look into the anatomy of the big lie, how it began and how it spread, and how, frankly, it has led to this sad fact that just 22 percent, one in five Republicans, say Joe Biden was elected legitimate. So how did we get here? Well, taking a look back shows us that Donald Trump has been laying the groundwork for this big lie really his entire political career. In fact, some say it all started more than five years ago. Caucus night, 2016 in Iowa, where Trump, faced with his first big loss in the primary season, tweeted, Senator Cruz, Ted Cruz didn't win Iowa. He illegally stole it. Trump would later delete the tweet. But even after he won the presidency, he blamed his massive popular vote loss on these mythical millions of people who voted illegally. And in fact, to back up this lie, the president tried to establish a voter fraud commission, which ended up quietly disbanding after finding no evidence of widespread fraud. While Kellyanne went easy on Trump, she lets Jared have it, saying what we already know, that he overestimates his own abilities and pretends he can solve every problem. But he failed more often than not and was never held accountable. She writes, and I quote, Kushner misread the Constitution in one crucial respect, thinking that all power not given to the federal government was reserved to him. Kellyanne also states unequivocally that there was no Russian collusion. People stating things that they want America to think are facts. Do you, aren't you the least bit 
reluctant, if not embarrassed, that you now talk about Russia more than you talk about America? No, doesn't it, this bother you? This there? matters. You have Donald Jr., who went from saying, "I never met with I anybody think America from matters. Russia. I never met with it. Anybody that had anything to do with Russia." Now he's saying he met with someone to get oppo research on Hillary Clinton, who was connected to the Kremlin. These Never questions the word opposition matter. research. These questions matter. Hey, Chris, he says do you think, that she had hey, Chris, information about needs the to DNC look very far. funding Hillary Clinton. These are Don Jr.'s words, not mine. It's not about CNN. And it's about Jr. what's said, said and what matters. And it's about all of the above. Melania Trump recently came out of hiding and gave her first interview since leaving the White House, where she hinted that she might again become first lady. Though I think it's near impossible that Trump would win in 2024 or even run. But you can never count Trump completely out. With your business background and your fashion background and your beauty, never on the cover of Vogue. Why the double standard? They're biased and um, they have likes and dislikes. And it's so obvious. And I think American people and uh, everyone see it. It was their decision, and I have much more important things to do, and I did in the White House than being on the cover of Vogue. And our old pal Rudy Colludi fucking Giuliani finally sat down with the January 6th committee for a nine-hour-plus interview under oath, reportedly pausing for a fucking hour to do his afternoon radio show. But Giuliani isn't just some random clown in the former president's orbit. He was his fucking lawyer, if you can call him that, and one of the main architects of Stop the Steal. I mean, he coordinated the fake elector scheme and is responsible for too many nefarious deeds to name. He's also still under investigation. His house, like mine, was raided. They probably have the goods on him. So in theory, if he's still facing a possible indictment, testifying oath for hours and hours would be a highly risky move. Apparently, still hung over after the hearings, on Sunday, Colludi, I mean Rudy, I mean Giuliani, flipped out on a heckler in a profanity-laced tirade during a celebrate Israel parade. I mean, way to fucking go, Rudy. <laughs> I really wish that I had spent more time appreciating it when it was all happening instead of just worrying about when it would end. Watch me when you call my name. And with all the ridiculous shit that Trump and his MAGA family circus foists upon the American public, I still can't help thinking about the stunning revelations published in the recent Oxfam report. The cost of essential goods has risen faster than it has in six decades. But food and energy corporations are increasing their profits by a billion dollars every two days. I mean, you heard that right. A billion fucking dollars every two days. And fucking Big Pharma with its monopoly on the vaccine is seeing off the charts profits thanks to the pain and suffering that's befallen us due to COVID-19. Average Americans are clearly suffering at the gas pump and at the grocery store. And if the Democrats can't find a way to pin our current inflation crisis on the real culprits, we're going to tank in the midterms. For now, let's keep our eye on the ball. And with any luck, the January 6th hearings will help push the MAGA circus off the fucking cliff.
And now for the main event. This week, we're happy to welcome back Iraq combat vet and dedicated hunter of fascists, white supremacists and all, Chris Goldsmith. He's also an investigator, instructor, and CEO of Sparverius, a company that detects and disrupts disinformation and domestic extremists. For more than a decade, Goldsmith championed veterans' rights after experienced shortcomings in the system. He testified before the United States Congress and advocated for several bills to protect veterans that have now become law. Most recently, his efforts have been focused on combating online disinformation. Chris is on the front lines, fighting America's homegrown fascism, rooting out white supremacist individuals and organizations, and bringing them into the light. He's also teaching others how to do it as well. And while Goldsmith's approach may seem unconventional, his true aim is to protect our democracy. Goldsmith's new website, taskforcebutler.org, is dedicated to establishing a history of Patriot Front's conspiracies and hate crimes that will help law enforcement bring the organization down. Again, that's taskforcebutler.org. So I encourage you all to go to his website and donate to his incredibly worthy cause. Now let's go now to that conversation with Chris Goldsmith. Okay, so Chris, last week you tweeted there are several Hitler-obsessed neo-Nazi organizations that advocate genocide operating in New York, including White Lives Matter. Now, May 14th, the day of the Buffalo racist mass shooting by this deranged white supremacist, was the date of their long-planned day of action. Would you do me a favor and expand and tell us exactly what White Lives Matter is all about? Sure. So White Lives Matter is, uh, is the antithesis of Black Lives Matter. It is, uh, it is an organization that was started by some uh, some young racist uh, millennial, maybe Gen Z kids uh, who were looking to basically start their own version of KKK. So what they've done is they've uh, they've taken the manifestos of previous mass shooters uh, of uh, folks who started other you know hate groups like Patriot Front, uh, and they've applied it to um, applied it to a distinct brand, WLM, White Lives Matter. Uh, it is an organization whose primary goal is to create semi-autonomous cells. That's the, that's the phrase they use, semi-autonomous cells, not just within the United States, but globally. And each month they have a, a chosen day of, of action. You know, they set out their calendar uh, at the beginning of the year to get all the racists in the country ready. And uh, an organization that, that just started in March of 2021, just over a year later, now appears to have uh, scores of active chapters across the United States, Canada, uh, Europe, in Australia. I mean, they've, they've really gone global. So, you know, the Anti-Defamation League put this on their website, you know, and they talk about it the same, in the same way that you do. A white supremacist phrase originated in around 2015, and it, it originated as a result, as you stated, as the antithesis to Black Lives Matter, right, which was the movement that 
legitimately arose as a direct result of it was a protest against police brutality against African-Americans. What are they protesting? What they're protesting is uh, is they believe that uh, in white supremacy, I mean, period, full stop. That's that's what they believe in. They believe that uh, that they should be the inheritors of conquistadors and colonizers around the world. These are folks who have spent uh, the last decade or so, young guys, immersing themselves in neo-Nazi lore. You know, what we saw at the Unite the Right rally, uh, that neo-Nazi rally, was just the, the first public viewing of a collection of these folks all in the same place at the same time. You know, what's what's different now than ever before is if you uh, if you were a neo-Nazi, you know, in the 80s or the 90s and you wanted to brainwash people, you know, you had to print out a bunch of pamphlets and leave them at the bus stop or in the subway station or hand them out, you know, at, at a uh, anti-abortion protest or something like that. Nowadays, all they have to do is create an Instagram account. You know, the this White Lives Matter entity, which is, you know, meets all of the hallmarks of a classic international terrorist organization. They're they're on Instagram. You know, they they have a Twitter account. They're really active on Telegram. And that's that's the um, encrypted chat at app that they use for uh, most of their recruiting, for most of their organizing. So tell me something, because, again, since this thing started around 2015, I understand that, you know, they are in multiple states here, but there's one in particular in Texas, which has gotten a lot of um, a lot of coverage, and that's this Aryan Renaissance Society. What do you know about Mm -hmm. them and so on? Because it's again, you know, they're just. Let's just call it the newest, shiniest object in right in neo-Nazi racism bullshit, right? I mean, obviously, the long-established organization of the Ku Klux Klan, and then you have, you know, other uh, organizations as well, like we've seen uh, the Oath Keepers and so on. But who is this new Aryan Renaissance Society? Or am I wrong? Are they not relatively new? So... There, these organizations are. A lot of them are headquartered in Texas. Texas is seriously just a, is a breeding ground of uh, today's newest uh, neo-Nazi organizations, and that's partially informed by a uh, a consistent presence of the KKK that dates back generations in Texas. Uh, what we've seen with the rise of of Patriot Front, White Lives Matter, all of these you know, Aryan Brotherhood derivatives uh, are a bunch of, you know, racists who are also grifters. You know, each one wants to create their own brand, right? Like that's, it's it's uh, part of, you know, belonging to these organizations is you are, um, right? Like the, uh, all of these hate groups, for the most part, they rely on racists around the country who, um, you know, are sitting in their in their basement, afraid to come out of the house uh, to to fund, you know, their acts of uh, intimidation and, and uh, you know, frankly, like terrorist attacks 
uh, like we saw in Buffalo just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, listen, obviously nobody expressed to them the fact that Hitler lost, and he lost pretty badly. The world at one point decided that this fascism, that this hatred sort of has to stop, and it certainly didn't, you know, it didn't bode well for them. And I'm kind of curious as to why they think that it's going to be any better for them. Because you're right, many of them are downstairs in their mom and dad's basement with their fucking Confederate flag hanging or their swastika flag that either they bought mm-hmm. from some rummage sale, right, by some other neo-Nazi jerk-off, right, um, who was having a yard sale, or they made they had them made up, right? And then they sit back down in their basement and they create you know, a website, whether it's on a Facebook, a, any of these social, you know, Instagram, whatever. And they start to attract like-minded people. And I am always curious as to why one state, we all know that Texas has an open gun law and it's very easy to get a license. I suspect then the same probably exists in Florida, right? I mean, you know, anybody can have a license for a concealed, um, carry uh simply by sending i think it's like 210 dollars well in texas you just got to be 21 and, and you can carry a handgun anywhere you want now and there's no and there's I no mean, license requirement at all don't you even no license none at all no no it's, it's what they call constitutional carry Un- understood well yeah obviously it makes it easier you don't even have to spend the 200 plus dollars but you know one of the things that i also saw while i was investigating on this white lives matter uh sort of movement is in Newsweek, there was an interesting article by a guy named Pedro Gonzalez. I don't know if you saw it. And it's entitled Democrats are Massive Hypocrites on So-Called Great Replacement Theory. And of course, it's an opinion piece by this kid who's an associate editor at Chronicles. And there was something that I found in there, which I thought was really um, interesting, where they claim that Joe Biden is as guilty as the Republicans for this whole replacement theory, which I think is merely a derivative off of um, this, you know, white lives matter. I think it's all it all stems from the same mm-hmm. basic core hate. And he talked about how where Joe Biden himself said, and I'm going to quote, that a constant and unrelenting stream of immigration would reduce Americans of white European stock to an absolute minority and that this was a source of our strength. Now, again, this is only one line that he uses. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but to me, that almost sounds like a Republican GOP Donald Trump racist rant. And I'm curious in what respect was it said? Is this being taken out of context? Or is this one of the reasons why you have people like Tucker Carlson who will take a line like that, use it, and then again, it's why the Democrats, it's why Jamie Harrison and the DNC, why there's no messaging out there that seems to be rallying the troops for the midterm election. Yeah, so the difference between Democrats and Republicans in the modern era is that Democrats have learned from a history of really horrific mistakes, uh, you know, and, and Republicans love to say this all the time. You know, the uh, Democrats are the party of the KKK, you know, back before uh, realignment, uh, the South used to be controlled by the Democrats, the Dixiecrats. Right. 
you know, one of the things that we've seen in in Joe Biden, older dude, uh, much older dude, is uh, is he does have the capacity to learn. You know, those that type of statement he may have thought was was okay in the past, but I'm sure if he were confronted with it again today, he would, uh, you know, he would a apologize and b you know be able to contextualize how uh, how that type of language is damaging, you know, and the this great replacement thing, this this whataboutism that the Tucker Carlson's of the world are are trying to play is is deliberate, you know, and and what they are doing is they're trying to um, they're trying to mask their naked purposeful racism uh, in you know a history of 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 a country that where that used to be acceptable, uh, you know, in the mainstream. Thankfully, um, you know, statements like the one you just read from from Biden are are no longer acceptable. You know, people can't say that on the floor of the Senate or the House. Uh, and the reason is, is because we understand that these words lead to an eventual violent outcome. The great replacement theory that is being pushed by White Lives Matter, that is being pushed by uh, Tucker Carlson and, and Fox News and all of these folks who talk about George Soros all the time, right? Uh, the ultimate goal of that rhetoric of, of these campaigns is to push anti-Semitism and is to, to push violence against minorities. The the Buffalo shooter claims to have been radicalized on 4chan, right, which is like just a, a disgusting message board where people anonymously post memes and stuff. Um, but it wasn't just 4chan. You know, there are neo-Nazi organizations like White Lives Matter, like Patriot Front, like the Goyam Defense League, uh, which which produce content every single day to spread across YouTube and Telegram and Rumble uh, and Odyssey that gets, again, posted into places like 4chan with the explicit intent of radicalizing individuals. And this kind of stochastic terrorism uh, is intentional. You know, guys like Tommy Rousseau, the rhinestone cowboy leader of, of Patriot Front down in Texas, he knows that you know, the result of this kind of uh, white lives matter rhetoric, this uh, great replacement theory rhetoric is more Buffalo shooters, more people who will be inspired by the rhetoric who are, you know, maybe not directly connected to the organizations, uh, but are working to accomplish the same goal, which is, you know, to start a, a race war, to start a purge of the United States of, uh, of anyone that doesn't look like them it's it's you know when you said that the they can't do it that they can't say these sort of things they do on the floor of the capitol right the i think the real word is that they shouldn't you shouldn't have that in your You're heart right. you know yep. these folks it was like donald like donald when barack obama mm -hmm. became the first black president of the united states of america it was amazing to see his reaction. It was amazing to see the reaction of so many people, many of whom I just 
most of whom I don't even speak to anymore because I find their ideology of white supremacy to be so, and I'm not talking about white supremacy like the Adolf Hitler white supremacy. I'm talking about um, this, this belief system of, you know, I just want things to stay as they, you know, as they have been. Uh, it's almost like white is right, you know, that ideology and what's Barack Obama going to do to our country? He's going to turn it upside down. White, you know, uh, privilege is going to become, you know, the exact opposite. It's now going to become black privilege. They already had all these theories on what he was going to do to fuck up the United States of America. But it brings me to the, the point that I'm trying to make is that it shouldn't be. They shouldn't even be thinking this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I could only imagine people like a Lauren Boebert or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or the Josh Hawley's or the Ted Cruz's and so on when, you know, Katanji, um, Brown Jackson was sitting there, right, for the office of the, um, you know, Supreme Court of the United States. It must have been the same sort of feeling in their hearts that they had when Barack Obama, mm-hmm. you know, was running in. I just don't get it because in all fairness, yeah. I think she's more qualified, certainly, than any of the Trump picks. That's for sure. But I want to ask you this question, Chris. How do you then propose to get lawmakers like Governor Hochul, like Senators Schumer and Gillibrand, to start paying attention right, to the hate groups that are active right now in their own backyards? Because so far, I haven't seen... Yes, 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 we all see the same shit, and I get infuriated from it. Our hearts and prayers, you start to see the hands, you know, together in the mm-hmm. memes and so on. Thoughts and prayers to the families of the, of the lost, you know, um, you know, individuals in this senseless buffalo. That's bullshit at this point. It's high time that our politicians on both sides of the aisle start to do something because this is just, this is just wrong. We all know how precious life is, right? And yet, these 10 innocent people, not to mention several others that were just injured, lost their lives because of one mm-hmm. asshole, because of one racist asshole. What are they going to start doing something? Yeah. So uh, let me address your, your first point. You are you're right. I should have said they shouldn't say down on the House floor, the Senate floor. They they do all the time. Guys like Gosar, uh, you know, are a hero to gen z neo-nazis because he's willing to spout white supremacist talking points from the house floor so you're you're right um you know as far as how to get the the politicians who who do care to pay attention and to take action um you know i i used to be an intern in gillibrand's senate office right uh i i'm a born and bred new yorker i'm right in their backyard you know, if Jill Brand's office, if Senator Schumer, if Kathy Hochul want to reach out to me, they, you know, they, they know where to, to, to go. It's not just about building awareness, right? It's about holding people accountable. We, we see this all day. You and I are especially interested in, in you know, fighting white supremacy and anti-Semitism. So maybe we see this more than, uh, more than the average person who maybe doesn't watch the news. And, you know, I'm probably not describing any of your listeners, right? But the average American is seeing enough white supremacist violence that they should they should care. And the way that um, the way that this needs to be addressed is is the same way that the Republicans addressed Benghazi. Right? Democrats, if if Democrats want to save 
democracy to to ensure that our constitution lives another two years. Uh, they need to start holding prime time hearings at every single opportunity, both you know in in the House and Senate. Uh, you know, Senator Schumer being. Uh, the Senate Majority Leader can instruct his committee uh, chairman to chair people to to start holding hearings on white supremacy and the violence that it uh, that it's wreaking across the entire country. Uh, you know, they the Senate Intelligence Committee or is the House Intelligence Committee just a, just a little while ago held a hearing on UFOs, right? Like, is that is that the Democrats is that how we're going to protect democracy from from UFOs? Like, how about addressing uh, the greatest threat to the homeland as as far as the FBI is concerned, which is white supremacist violence? Right. Like, where are the humans? I, you know, <laughs> if Democrats uh, would just. And this is wild for me to say, because, you know, a Cheney helped to send me to war, but. If if Liz Cheney were in charge of of setting up the hearing schedules for every committee, I I think Democrats might have a chance of winning the next election and saving our democracy because the stakes are and and, you know, black voters understand this more than anybody. It's it's an existential threat. You know, if we get guys like Paul Gosar, representative out of Jeez. out of Arizona, open white supremacist, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who attended the America First neo-Nazi conference. Um, if if these people get chairmanships and they're just subpoenaing people and, you know, McCarthy's going to just, you know, go with go with the flow and do whatever Trump wants, you know, they're going to start like jailing people. Right. We're we're not far off of straight out fascism and all it's going to take is a is a republican house uh to to start doing some really scary shit yeah Yeah, trust me i i think about that quite often for a multitude of reasons but we always hear you know members of the house talking about domestic terrorists and that's what these people are they're domestic terrorists and in one of my other podcasts i was talking about the number of Mass shootings, even just this year alone, it's, you know, it's almost 200, almost 200 mass shootings just this year alone. And who's responsible for it? These domestic terrorists. So if we don't start getting serious about it, yeah, I agree with you. I believe that there's going to be a civil war, that we will lose our democracy, which is why even on my Instagram live, when I go and I talk and I tell people, Maya Culpa is not a podcast to bash Donald J. Trump. He's not in fucking office now. Is he a thorn in Biden's ass? Sure. Is he a plague on society and humanity? Absolutely. But this podcast is not dedicated to bashing Donald Trump. It's to telling the truth. And if that means exposing him for what he is, and I say it all the time, the racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite, well, fuck it. So be it. It is what it is. But I'm more concerned about why they don't actually, as you stated, hold these hearings on domestic terrorism because once this is out of the bag, and that's again, it's why I, I talk about Maya Culpa is not being this podcast about Trump and GOP, but rather it's a movement. My goal, like we're over 24 million downloads since we started, and it's just quite impressive. And we're ranking as one of the top, you know, news uh, podcasts that are out there. 
And while I can take a pat on the back and accept the accolades, hey, fucking congratulations, it's not enough. We don't need 1.3 million downloads a month or something like that. We need 1.3 million for every episode. We need 10 million, 20 million a month. We need to be able to be the movement that actually pushes mm-hmm. Chuck Schumer and Governor Hochul and Kamala Harris and President Biden and, you know, and all of the politicians to understand that we as a collective group will call mea culpians, right? That if in fact that what we're finding is that your attitude towards something doesn't seem to comport with the continuation of our constitution and our democracy, well then fuck it. We're coming, we're coming to you in your home state. And we're going to throw you out of office because it's enough already. No more. We don't need more politicians that are worried about themselves and their pocket. We need politicians that are going to worry about the American people. But let me then move forward for a second, because apparently these white supremacist hate groups have managed to get on Meta, right, and Twitter. Can we talk about how they get past the hate speech screens? Also, What's this battle over free speech really about? I mean, it's Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson's favorite thing now to bitch about. And and I want to be clear about this. I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. I don't agree with him on this thing about, you know, Twitter getting Donald Trump back. Who doesn't even want to be back, right, on on Twitter? Because that, of course, would benefit somebody else as opposed to his inoperative, um, you know, social media platform. But what's this all about? So, uh, it's about what we talked about before. When when they say free speech, what they want is free speech. What they want is freedom from accountability. What they want is freedom from repercussions. That that is the free market. That's capitalism. That's democracy. That's freedom. Right. It's it's uh, you know I think one of the most informative classes that I ever took when I started community college at like the age of. 26, right, was uh, was economics 101. And it's where I learned about the concept of negative externalities, right? These are things that like, you know, everybody knows about, you just might not have the name for it, right? This is the way that college courses, for me, help help like put my life in order, right? If there's a coal plant next door, and it's churning out toxic smoke, and that toxic smoke is going over your property, and it's polluting, you know, polluting your your land, it's polluting your air, it's giving you cancer. You have a right to seek uh, restitution, right? That's that's the whole concept. Like you are free to, you know, you can go ahead and burn that coal, but if that smog that you're creating creates a negative externality and starts costing someone else something, you know, you you have to ultimately be, be responsible for it. So when they talk about freedom of speech, they're talking about they want to produce that toxic smog and let the rest of us deal with it without associating any of the costs of the negative externalities back onto them. And, you know, this is this is I'm oversimplifying this this concept. Right. But it's the way that we need to look at the Internet. You know, if um, everyone wants to say like, oh, you know, Twitter and, and Facebook, they're uh, they're not publishers. You know, they shouldn't be. Uh, responsible for what people post on their platforms. Well, all right, let's let's look at them like coal plants. And if they're pushing smog into all of our lives and polluting our democracy, 
uh, and, you know, hell, driving families apart and killing people because, you know, all of a sudden uh, they're uh, they don't believe that vaccines are, are a good thing or that the pandemic that we all experienced was fake. Right. Who should be responsible for that? You know, I think that the the people who are who are, you know, pumping that toxic smoke in, into this uh, into the air, into the social media ecosystem ought to be responsible for it. You know, but, you know, and, but Chris, to be fair for a second, you know, in your example, mm-hmm. you don't have any control over that smog coming, you know, and, you know, affecting your land, affecting your your body, right? You inhaling it. You have no control over that here. Like, I've never been on any of these websites. And one of the issues that everybody mm-hmm. constantly brings up, and I'm sensitive to this issue, simply because at the current moment, I am suing the United States government, Donald J. Trump, Bill Barr, right? Michael Carvajal and a slew of other defendants for the unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville. And not like what Fox, mm-hmm. New York fucking Post put out there that because I was having dinner with Bill Bouquet, right, with some friends, which I was permitted to do, I was on a furlough, but because their attempt to violate my First Amendment free speech and not allow me to publish the book, Disloyal, which I ultimately did. And the Supreme Court of the United States has repeatedly ruled that hate speech, right, is legally protected under the First Amendment. So we're kind of stuck in this balancing act, right, where Mm -hmm. while you can't control that it's on the Internet, you can control yourself and just not subscribe to it just not log on to it i don't even know the names of these hate group websites i have no interest in being affiliated to them now would it be great if we Mm -hmm. could figure out how to hold them like they do in say you know in the uk right if you bring up a defamation or or some other action uh like that where you can hold them responsible not just for monetary damages, but for your legal fees as well. I mean, I think that certainly would be a much better system than what we have. But at the present moment, the Supreme Court has repeatedly ruled that it is protected speech under the First Amendment. And they use that in order to keep to promote it. Because Facebook, what Meta, right, or Twitter or all of these, they don't give a shit. All they care about is their bottom mm-hmm. line. You're talking about economics 101. This is all about your profit so that you can distribute them to your shareholders and to yourself. Well, so I got a question for you then. The So the this this Buffalo mass shooter claims to have been radicalized, you know, on 4chan, by 4chan. Could the city of Buffalo, uh, you know, collectively the victims of this mass shooting uh you know file a civil suit uh, against 4chan look you could i mean you could file a lawsuit against anyone at any time for anything do i think that they can of course they can do i think that they'll be successful I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, you know, their counsel will raise the defense of First Amendment's, you know, free speech. We have the right to maybe you don't mm-hmm. like the fact that um, I talk about Donald J. Trump or I talk about the GOP. They'll claim now that that's hate speech. Next thing I know, I'll get dragged into court. Right. I mean, it's it's such 
our First Amendment is such a slippery slope because, you know, it goes right back to what we all know and that adage that we've all heard, you can't scream fire in a crowded movie theater. Mm -hmm. And that's not about First Amendment speech. It's really more about safety. Right. Um, I mean, you can say whatever you want in a movie theater. Shit. I was in a movie theater not too long ago. These folks that were sitting next to me didn't shut the fuck up the entire time. Right. I mean, it was the most, and I had the same shit at the, at a Broadway show. I went and I saw MJ, right, which was a fabulous musical. These people sitting next to us, they wouldn't shut up. Free speech. Right. Can I say anything? You know, I certainly can't sue them for the value of my tickets since they were irritating me. And sadly, that's what this is about. And I think what we need to do as human beings, as Americans, regardless of your race, your religion, your creed, your color, your sexual orientation, we should just respect one another. This issue should not even be arising right at this moment. I, I don't care what you believe, nor any more than you should care what I believe. Just be be yourself, but just don't impact the next guy in a negative way. You wanna you wanna hate Jews simply because it makes you feel better about yourself? Fine. Keep it in your basement. Right? Don't take out an AR-15 and open fire if you have a problem with black people, right? Actually go figure out a supermarket in Buffalo, you know, 200 miles away that's in a predominantly black neighborhood and decide to shoot it up simply because of the color of their skin. It's fucking asinine. But tell me something. Yeah. Tell me about this nonprofit that I know that you're launching, right, to teach other veterans how to hunt Nazis online like you do. I mean, it's truly admirable. And I know that there's this new website and you're looking for volunteers. I mean, Tell me if you would. Tell us about this. And how can the work yeah. that you're doing help the feds bring conspiracy groups like Patriots front down? Sure. So, you know, thanks. Thanks for bringing this That's up. Important. So, so I have uh, to. you're you're the you're the first person outside of a very, very small group of people who's helping me start this thing that I'm talking to this about. Uh, so Task Force Butler, TF-B.org uh, is is a nonprofit that is training training veterans to do what I do, to hunt Nazis online, to hold them accountable, to expose them. Um, you know, we I've I filed the paperwork to make it a 501c3 nonprofit. Hasn't been approved yet, but that's the intent, right? We have over the last six months, I think since the last time I talked to you, have, have been engaged in a pilot program with Human Rights First, with Veterans for American Ideals and the Innovation Lab at Human Rights First to take volunteer veterans from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, everything from a Marine Corps machine gunner uh, who got out as a corporal to a Navy pilot who used to fly jets. Um, and we are operating as a team, uh, focusing on extremist individuals and organizations and essentially, you know, doing what we can to build um not just expose, you know, the Nazi in your neighborhood type of stuff, uh, but to try to help the feds in understanding that they could probably hit Patriot Front with RICO. These these white life matter type organizations, whether it's Patriot Front or Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, uh, they're all involved in racketeering. You know, every single one of them are, are a pyramid scheme. It's a way to get the leader... Uh, to be wealthy, to not have to do anything but produce, you know, outrageous online content to recruit people. Um, but Patriot Front, 
you know, for example, is, is our first project with the Innovation Lab at Human Rights First. We're about to publish a dedicated page that's going to show a history of, of hate crimes that they've been involved in throughout 2021. You know, what we are going to be establishing, uh, hopefully for, for feds, for state and, and local law enforcement, uh, is an understanding of what the larger ecosystem is, right? So if if you're uh, you know if you're a beat cop, if you're a detective in in New York City, and the George Floyd Memorial gets defaced the day before the day it's unveiled, uh, you know you look at that as okay, this is an act of of uh, racial intimidation in my in my neighborhood, and, and that's it. Like that's that's the end of it for the NYPD for detectives. They're not going to go. Nobody got hurt. They're not going to invest anything in in finding the bad guys. Well, I can tell you it was Patriot Front because they document themselves doing this stuff. And then, you know, all of their stuff eventually becomes available online and people like me find it. Well, Patriot Front, you know, is taking people across state lines to commit hate crimes, to, you know, target minority communities, LGBT communities, immigrants, um, you know, uh, uh, anti you know, Semitic, none of these are, are violent attacks that I'm talking about. It's, it's all property destruction. But, you know, when you are organizing uh, members of a hate group across, you know, a couple of state lines, three different states, uh, whether it be in, in New York, New Jersey and Connecticut or uh, California, Oregon and Washington to destroy a, a gay pride mural with the intent to intimidate uh, and push down, um, you know, LGBTQ Americans. Uh, that's that's a couple of hate crime laws. That's also conspiracy. You know, in in some cases, they're brainwashing kids who are under eighteen, so they're trafficking minors. So what we are doing, you know, Task Force Butler is helping Human Rights First and their Innovation Lab uh, with Veterans for American Ideals to start holding these folks accountable and to make it really fucking obvious for law enforcement that they need to do something. So, you know, do me a favor. It's TF dash dash B, B like boy dot, dot org. org. Right. So I'm yep. going to ask each and every one. And again, you know, we're doing um, more than 1.3 million downloads. So I would ask my listeners one dollar. Just what one dollar. Let's just yeah, to get awesome. this thing started. Because here's the thing. The first time I ever met you, Chris, the thing I always told you that impressed me about you and it assists law enforcement. But in fact, it really it really um, assists society and communities. I want people to think for a second. Mm -hmm. No different than you don't want the child molester in your neighborhood. And so they have lists. And when a child molester moves into your neighborhood, you have to be notified by the community that this person is going to be living there. And I'm sure that that person does not have an easy time, whether it's going to the McDonald's, mm -hmm. the Burger King, the supermarket, the car wash, the gas station. No one wants to fucking deal with them. Why? Because they're a fucking chomo. All right? End of story. And nobody wants mm -hmm. you in the community. What you do and your organization does so successfully is you expose the anti-Semitism, you, you expose the white supremacists, you expose the racially hatred that, you know, the hate in the hearts of these individuals, and you make it difficult for them 
to actually live in a community because despite what people think, yeah, there may be 10% of that community that may subscribe to this asshole's, you know, ideology, but you don't have a hundred percent. You don't have 90%. You don't even have 50%. Yeah. So if you could make their lives so difficult, how are you going to get a job when your boss is friends with somebody who's black or somebody who's Jewish, right? And you have this, this racist rant running through your internet, through your Twitter feed or your whatever mm -hmm. platform that you're on. That's the key. And that's what, you know, I'm certain that you're going to do great things with this new organization. Expose them because that's about the best thing that you could do. You can't kick the shit out of them. That would be nice, right? You can't turn around and you can't, you know, you, you can't buy their houses and tell them to move somewhere because they're not going to do it. And if they do, they're still going to take their hate with them, expose them and make them the pariahs of society that they actually are. Now, let me ask you this, Chris, for a second. Yeah. We've heard rumors that there are, th that there's big things going down in the people's convoy. Now, apparently you've been tracking their telegram page and we know the convoy was part of this anti-vax movement. What are they up? What what are they about now? Right, white nationalism, and is and is is it true that they are imploding? Because I saw an article about they're infighting, punching each other, throwing all of these you know slurs at one another to the point that they couldn't even make it to D.C. to shut down something that they wanted to shut down and that they were all over the internet promoting and promising that they were going to do. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm just Yes, you can keep laughing. I'm hysterical. Like these these guys are the the convoy is just the dumbest concept in the world. And it is like everything else, you know, like Donald Trump, it's a grift. All of these people just, you know, spending their time and their money, you know, this this uh people's convoy website raised over a million dollars over the course of a few months you know, supposedly to pay the truckers, you know, gas and stuff. Well, part of the drama just this past Friday and the reason why the People's Convoy just broke up was because the leaders of this organization were in this luxury RV, you know, while their followers have been, you know, putzing around for four months, driving across the country, back and forth between D.C. and California, you know, spending tons mm -hmm. of money on gas. The leaders had to call the call the state troopers on their own followers, because they were about to have like a, a straight up revolution where they were going to try and eat the rich because all these people have been like eating hot dogs for four months while millions of dollars are getting raised, you know, supposedly to, I don't know, end vaccination. So what? That's, all, that's all they served us in Otisville. I ate hot dogs so for 13 months and I don't even know whether they were really even fucking <laughs> hot dogs. I think they were roadkill, but I'm sorry. Keep going. Well, you know, so I. These so anyway, these people are all idiots. Uh, over the last few weeks, this this uh, proud boy calls himself Santa, uh, you know, started to take control of of the organization. You know, he brags that he's a second degree cow uh, proud boy, which I think means like four people punched him while he like named cereal or something. Like that's how you become a second degree proud, proud boy. Um, 
And the guy who, you know, suddenly he started months ago leading this, you know, was the one who made the People's Convoy website and became a millionaire overnight, suddenly realizes, oh, I've got stuff to lose now. I don't want a proud boy, you know, leading my convoy. So he just, you know, he took his took his ball and went home and and <laughs> killed the website, taking all the money. And now, you know, you've got a bunch of uh, idiot proud boys in, in trucks who have to pay thousands of dollars in diesel to get back home. Um, I, I am so just ecstatic to see how spectacularly these convoy idiots just ate themselves. It, it was, yeah, except, uh, it was except for the fact that the leaders of this um, people's convoy started declaring some major success you know, in their in their operation to shut down D.C., which, of course, never happened. But the thing that always, you know, that confuses me is I read more and more of these articles. First of all, they all like to place the American flag over the radiator. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, and so, well, first and foremost, that's stupid because you need the air to get in there. Otherwise, the engine will overheat. So, I mean, it just goes to show you how stupid <laughs> that they are. But you're not doing this for the benefit of America. And so I like the fact that they're trying to use the American flag for their own selfish purpose. But the thing that really confused me about this people's convoy. So, the, yeah, they got into fights with one another. They were, you know, hur uh, hurling slurs at one another. And so on. but then there was abuse to animals. There were all these allegations uh, or accusations of animal abuse. What the fuck does mm -hmm. animals have to do with a people's convoy? Right. In order to prove a point, what am I missing? Yeah, I, so, I mean, this is one of those cases of like you have a Matt Gates who's like goes around, you know, spreading uh, conspiracy theories about pedophiles. And then you find out like, oh, he's being investigated for trafficking uh, a child for having sex with someone who is underage as a congressman. Right. That's that's what. The people's convoy was it was it was a bunch of people who are guilty of all the things that they're accusing others of uh and one of the most recent things that they that they adopted part of i think why they fell apart was you know they wanted to address child trafficking and apparently that's like a a real popular thing on the far right why didn't they take their convoy so, to matt gates's house and can somebody one of my supporters please join me either on twitter or on instagram live and somebody tell me how it's possible that matt gates is still not in jail i mean what the fuck are we waiting for not only do you have the venmo right not only do you have joel greenberg the guy that actually set up the entire thing for him. Can somebody explain to me how I get 48 hours to make a decision that they're going after my wife and this guy is just sitting there and has the audacity to show up to the people's house, to the Congress every single yeah. day, you know, to go to work or whatever else it is that he's fucking doing. I don't understand it, but let me move on because I can I could spend the next <laughs> 15 minutes talking about Matt Gates and not get into anything of real importance here. Because Chris, look, You've got rare insight into the military. So I'm going to ask you a few questions along that line. Sure. For whatever reason, a lot of vets and active duty servicemen and women are pro-Trump, despite the bone spurs, despite the lie that he refused right to accept his number for Vietnam, claiming these bullshit bone spurs, which he does mm -hmm. not have. 
He did nothing for them while in office either, right? And just so you understand, the head of the VA, Dave Shulkin, was a friend of mine for 15 years before I even knew Trump. And so that's how he ended up getting the position. And he was amazing. David Shulkin was amazing. Not only was he the head of the VA, he was the assistant head under the Obama administration. They didn't care what his political affiliation was, even though it was Republican. Is the military some sort of like evangelical church where they, you know, where they slip right wing politics and propaganda in with the training? I mean, is there still soldiers on both sides of the aisle or is this becoming really partisan? So the military today, uh, the American military today is the most diverse organization on the planet. And, uh, you know, that that is purposeful. That was done by Congress. Uh, it was it was done. I it was, think it was Eisenhower during World War Two integrated um, black and white units. Uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell was a shit policy in the, in the 90s. Um, but that was repealed during the end of, of the Obama era and people were able to serve openly. Right. Before a lot of states, uh, you know, recognize marriages and, uh, you know, the organization, uh, the Department of Defense, it recruits people who um, who are willing to go to war for not a lot of money. Right. And I was one of them. I, I enlisted. Uh you know, sure, I, I could have done better in school and gone to college or whatever, but I wanted to serve my country. You know, I I was felt patriotic. I was 16 when the towers fell. You know, I, I felt uh, personally impacted that day when, you know, everyone at school seemed to have lost somebody. Um, so there's people like me, New Yorkers, who grew up uh, in Long Island until I got to basic training, I thought that half the country was Jewish. I mean, I, in Long Island, like all my friends were, half my friends were Jewish. You know, if you, if you were Christian, you were Irish or Italian, like that, that was the tiny little world that I grew up in. When I made it to basic training, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, there's, there's 50 different versions of, of uh, Christianity. Like what the hell's a Southern Baptist, right? Uh, the military is you know the mythical melting pot nothing for nothing nothing for nothing there chris but not to interrupt you and all but i'm going to (laughs) i grew up in lawrence the five towns which is a predominantly jewish now it's ultra orthodox you know community i -hmm. knew what southern baptists were even (laughs) when when i was attending a yeshiva i mean i don't know what community you're living in but how do you not know what a southern baptist is i i guess i was really sheltered man i love that (laughs) So, you know, when I when I got to basic training, all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, and like I got a much greater uh, view on on, you know, a a true representation of of America. Um, That said, it was also the first time that, you know, I'm I'm meeting people who, uh, you know, new members of the KKK. Right. when I was stationed in Fort Stewart, Georgia, I was in the South, right? That was the first time that I saw people with Confederate flags, but like really mean it, kind of mm-hmm. not 
putting it up ironically type of stuff, right? Like like Dukes um, of Hazard sort of stupidity. Yeah. 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 Um, it wasn't until I made it to Georgia and I was uh, 18 or 19 years old where I like really saw like hardcore racism. Uh, I mean, like the the uh, like American History X mm-hmm. cast type racism, right? It's it's hard to explain how you know reading that in a book or seeing it in in a movie is different from being, I guess, almost an adult and seeing it for real, like in your face the first time. Um, but that you know that kind of racism and shit is is not what the military. It's not, you know, the entire military. That said, the Department of Defense has been afraid uh, over, you know, decades now uh, to investigate and prosecute white supremacists in the ranks. And that's because of this, you know, supposed free speech thing. They, uh, you know, they're more than willing to go after a supposed jihadist. And why? Because they're a threat to the force. But yeah, they or a guy, or a guy who paid one hundred thirty thousand dollars to a, you know, to a porn star to pull the president's mushroom pecker. That's really important. But you know, I want to just expand on my question because something mm-hmm. just came to mind. Where do you think the military uh, would stand in the case of a civil war? Oh man, that, that keeps um, me up at night. Yeah. So, well, we we saw when Trump was very obviously trying to hold a coup. Uh, all of the former secretaries of defense, you know, co-signed an op-ed. Um, uh, the highest, highest ranking officials within the military wrote a memorandum for the force, basically, you know, stating that they were not going to get involved in uh, stealing an election. Right. The the military, as it's run today, has, in my opinion, enough um enough civilian control, enough diversity to to withstand a figure like Trump. Um, the uppermost echelons of the military, the, the highest ranking generals, they understand what's at stake, right? You have your, you know, your one-off guys like disgraced former General Mike Flynn, who's a fucking maniac, uh, who's disconnected from reality, um, but he's not the standard, right? The the folks that you see getting called before Congress to an- answer questions about, you know, what went wrong in Afghanistan, those folks understand what's at stake. They they have a, a great historical perspective on why the Constitution needs to be protected and, and what it is. Uh, you know, that said, You know, we t- I feel like we speak in platitudes about like, oh, we got to hold these people accountable and everything. Um, part of the reason I'm, I'm launching this new nonprofit task force, Butler, is to give veterans who appreciate diversity and who are angry at the fact that all of these maniacs are co-opting the flag and the Constitution and calling themselves patriots mm-hmm. as they try and run a coup against the United States. Yeah, I'm giving them nothing. something to do, right? Exactly. Like last time I was, I was I was on your show, people reach out and they say, how how can I help? Never had an answer. You know, I, I can't be like, well, go join your local hate group and sabotage right. them like I do. Like that's that I can't tell people to do that. Well, now I've developed a program to train veterans 
to use open source intelligence techniques to find and expose neo-Nazis, you know, in their neighborhood and across the country and to help hold them accountable, if not through, um, you know, motivating law enforcement to do something, at least uh, get involved in community notifications and let people know that there's a neo-Nazi next door so that they Ex they know exactly. to stay away from the red pickup truck. Have you spoken with any of the vets that have gone to the Ukraine um, and so on? Because, look, in my opinion, right, um, the chances that Putin's war on Ukraine turns into World War Three sort of goes with the question that I was asking you about mm -hmm. a civil war in our country. And I'm not 100% in agreement with you on that. Like, I believe that Trump, if in fact that he was president right now, um, would have the ability to get the generals in order to create a civil war. And now, despite the fact that you are the oppressed individual, you still have to fight because you're wearing the uniform. That was really mm -hmm. sort of the question that I was trying to, you know, to get to. But I want to yeah. ask you, I, 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 yeah, so what, what's your thoughts regarding that? Do you not think that the generals would go along and then if they didn't, he would just fire them and he would replace them? He would get fucking like Dan Scavino. Dude, he would make Baron <laughs> Trump, right? A five-star yeah. general. I mean, he would make, he would make, he would put Michael Flynn back as another five-star general. He would turn around with Steve Bannon, who's an absolute racist, you know, mm -hmm. as a five-star general. He'd make Barron, you know, uh, into a five-star general, you know, who would say, oh, I want to go play with the tanks, right? I mean, it would be, so, it would be something crazy like that. I mean, so that's what, my biggest what, fear. Well, where you started on Ukraine is, I think, a, a, uh, the closest thing to reality. Right. That that in a in a perspective, you know, nightmare scenario, what makes Ukraine's military and citizenry able to step up uh, to to uh, stand up to what was supposed to be a superior force? Russia It's logistics. Love it's all of about country. Get well. Yeah. And it's also getting fuel to the front lines. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed. So if. If there were, you know, a, a nightmare scenario, Trump were to install, you know, his chosen generals, um, you know, if if half the military is would walk off the job, and if there's nobody to drive the fuel truck to refill the tank, the tank isn't shooting anything, right? Oh, it's oh, oh, you got to you so got to remember, we, I I've been up against this fucking maniac, and I'm telling you. First of all, we have how many millions of people in our freestanding army, right? So even if half walked away, you still have well more than a million people. You'll find people to drive those well, look fuel at trucks. And if you and if you Ukraine's a different story because there mm -hmm. really is a national pride and a love for their country, right? Which is which is something that I hate to say is a little bit different than here. You know where mm -hmm. you know they also Ukraine has a guy like Zelensky who's trying to hold everyone together. If we had Trump and you have a maniac that would turn around and if you walked away, AWOL, right, so so to speak, right, you would be court-martialed. And under Trump, I wouldn't be shocked if he would turn around. If you leave, like what Putin is doing, you get executed, right? So it's going to mm -hmm. be very hard for people to walk away. Remember the narcissistic sociopath that we're talking about here. You know, this is all, this isn't about 
the United States winning or losing. It's about him winning or losing at any cost. And that's the same thing that I think we're seeing when it comes to um, Vladimir Putin. But, I, I, you know, yeah. as we're winding down the hour, I have just really one one last question for you. All right. The country is obviously divided, like I just said. Right. We, we are. But do you, do you ever see a way back to us becoming one nation again? I mean, is there an America in the future that's tolerant and maybe even united? I mean, or is it naive to ask if we will ever be the greatest nation on earth again? Because, look, we certainly are the greatest country, right? We have the greatest people. We have the best economy. Yes, but as a divided country, we are incredibly divided. We are not respected anymore around the world for the greatness that we are. Do you think we'll ever be able to get back there? Man, I am uh, I am not an optimist, but I'm a fighter, right? Like I, you know, if we're, if we're yeah. being real, I'm not having kids because look at climate change, dude. Like you, half of Manhattan is going to be gone in, in a few decades, you know, underwater, right? when the climate crisis like really really hits and we have mass migration like beyond anything that we've ever seen in the western hemisphere uh it's going to get worse you know what we saw in syria that that mass migration from a a, a multi-year drought and b assad's civil war uh we what we're seeing the racism the uh the xenophobia that that spiked all throughout Europe as a result of the Syrian refugee crisis. Just imagine that happening everywhere in the world all at once. Like that, that's what sea rise can do. <laughs> so, so is it going to get better? I don't know, man. Um, but I'm willing to go down fighting, you know, and, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this new nonprofit task force Butler. I'm trying to get people who are, who want to, you know, at least fight back and not just take it, right? Kind of like what we do here on Maya Culpa. But Chris, let me thank you again for joining me. Thank you for what you're doing. Again, I implore all of my listeners, one dollar. You know, one dollar. Sorry, if you like what he's doing, more. If you if you're unhappy, well, you invested a dollar into a great guy, and you could take my word. You know, the guy is a fighter. So, Chris, let me thank you again. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. Keep exposing these pieces of shit for who and what they are. And hopefully, right, with maybe, you know, a little help from God above, um, hopefully we will become united again. And hopefully we could be the greatest nation in the world again, you know, where we love and respect and honor each other instead of this ridiculous, nonsensical fighting and hatred. So let me thank you and hope to see you soon, brother. Thank you, brother. And now for today's mea culpa. With all that's going on in the world, you might wonder why I'd waste my breath talking about the Trump family shit show. I don't report on the Trump's corrupt behavior, the books being written, or the hurt feelings over a slight from Vogue magazine just so that we can laugh at them, but to learn from them. We can see what they're doing. It's all very entertaining. The criming in plain sight and mugging for the audience like they're never going to get caught. But it's all just a front for what's really going on behind the curtain. So buckle up because there's a war going on. A fascist agenda being pushed by corporations and the billionaires to separate us from our freedoms. 
to separate us from our money, our bodies, and the truth. The pandemic simply accelerated the speed at which it's advancing. Kids stuck at home become radicalized by white supremacists online. I mean, gas and food companies jack up their prices and blame the supply chain or President Biden. I mean, anything to keep us from blaming them for profiting off our backs. Our Supreme Court has become a radical ring-wing body of overlords. Just like that, American women lose their reproductive rights. And serious question, why do we live with the recurring nightmare of gun violence after every motherfucking day? Like it's normal, like it can't be stopped, but it can. I mean, ask yourself, who profits the most on this cycle of violence? Politicians bought and sold by the NRA. NRA money is shredding our democracy and killing our kids. The NRA is evil and it's immoral, but it's the perfect metaphor for what the fuck is going on in this world right now. And all these things, corporate greed, white supremacy, gun violence, are all just related to one thing, the rise of authoritarianism. Mass shootings in America don't just desensitize us to violence, it cheapens the value of life and normalizes tragedy so that we give up any hope of change. But this is America, and there are more of us than there are of them. We just have to get together and fight like hell for our democracy. I mean, here at Mea Culpa, we're starting a movement, a community, if you will, to keep ourselves educated and focused on the truth. We look for the folks making a difference, like our guest today, Chris Goldsmith. So a small donation to his cause just may keep someone's kids from going down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Or maybe check out organizations who fight poverty and injustice like Oxfam America. And definitely don't give up. I mean, don't ever give up. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>